Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I am joined today by Arif Hassan of The Athletic Minnesota, uh, Vikings beat writer. We're going to get into everything Vikings. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Arif Hassan NFL, which I learned uh, the first time that we recorded this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I forgot I, I forgot to record there. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll spare you the, the NFL at the end of Twitter handle uh, conversation that we had earlier. But um, So we're, we're going to get into everything going on with the Vikings. Uh, they obviously lost to the Bucks. That really impacts their playoff chances. We still have about a 15% chance of making the playoffs, so we're going to talk about that. But we're also going to discuss it maybe a little prematurely like a postmortem and decide well, what are we doing with this franchise going forward. But before we get into that, I want to talk about a few issues around the NFL. First off, uh, Monday Night Football, Browns-Ravens, a huge game for the Ravens and their playoff chances. But I also think it changes some of the the topic around the league about not just by the numbers, what their chances to get in, but I think the way Lamar Jackson play, the way he was able to run, whether they have a real uh, a title shot and title contention there. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll just shoot it over to you first, Arif, on this. How do you think about the Ravens pre and post Monday night? Or is there a big change beyond the fact that obviously this helps their playoff chances? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, um, you know, most people regard the Browns right now as a good team. I think that's pretty fair. I mean, you know, the record overstates, you know, their team quality, but I, I think for the most part, they're, uh, you know, a win against the Browns is an indication that you've got the ability to win against some pretty good teams. And, and it's not just that. I think that the way that Lamar Jackson played, I think, kind of demonstrates some of the things that you can rely on um, that give them kind of a floor. Uh, and so, that I think is pretty important for the playoffs, but I think more than anything else, I mean, the, the Ravens have consistently demonstrated that they're um, a high variance team in a very good way, which is great for the playoffs as the Ravens have demonstrated in the past. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, kind of their blitz heavy approach with a lot of man corners that create a lot of turnovers. I mean, that stuff on defense, you know, they, it, it has produced, you know, good defensive numbers, but more interesting to me is that it creates more possessions on offense. I mean, they weren't able to turn those fumbles into offensive possessions in this game. Uh, and, and it turns out they almost needed to, but they didn't. Um, but, you know, going forward in the future, I, I think it's kind of difficult to imagine that they won't be able to turn some of those uh, into turnovers. And then, you know, I, I think that just generally speaking, you know, the way that um, they were able to, to generate multiple scores in, in situations when they needed those scores, you know, is another indication that, um, you know, they've got they've got playoff potential. So if there is something to if playoff football is different in some way, I think the Ravens have, you know, whatever it takes that that is different than regular season play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the Ravens were one of my bigger misses coming into the year because I was thinking they could really be there with the Chiefs. Maybe they were being yeah. undervalued a little bit going into the season because of the defense, because of the fact that Lamar, while his stats were probably going to regress because you just can't keep touchdown rate and those sort of things. I thought mm -hmm. he may, I thought maybe the baseline for what that regression would be had gone up, had, had gone up and that he could be a better passer um, this season. Now, I think there were. I heard some some you know this is this is like TMZ here but I heard some minor rumors that that he had some physical problems like with the knee earlier this season and I'm wondering if that is cleared up a little bit now that he's had some time off and some other things that, that are going on cuz I think he's looks he looks different to me physically. He does. I feel yeah. like I mean he was running earlier at almost the same level as far as the the number of rushes, but we didn't see the explosive plays much. We saw it a little bit, uh, but then we saw it in the Eagles game where where he took one in on a fourth down all the way, um, although it was pr pretty much straight line run. But this is probably the first time that I've really seen him just running around all over the place where he looked literally impossible to tackle. It, di it didn't really matter what, what yeah. the defense was doing. So I think physically he may be back to where he was before. Now, my concern, though, 
is that the passing game was still pretty, I don't know, it, 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 was, it was clunky. It was not working. I, don't, I mean, it was working in a sense that they put up good numbers. If you look at the completion percentage, it ended up actually being pretty good after not being good earlier in the game. But what I was looking at specifically was the fact that he was either scrambling or was sacked on about a third of his drop back. So that's just a huge, yeah. huge amount. Um, so if, if you can't, if you're not even attempting a pass, presumably it's because either someone, they're not open or he wasn't reading it correctly on a third of your dropbacks. I mean, that's just, that's just not going to work. Last year, he was scrambling on about 10% of his dropbacks. He was taking a sack on less than 5% of his dropbacks. So it's pretty low numbers. That's a huge, huge increase over there. Did, did you see that? Does that concern you at all? Whether or not the passing game is really working other than the fact that they got a few chunk plays on some broken plays. Yeah, I, I think that is a concern, and I, and I like how you phrase it. It's the passing game, I think, is more the concern than, like, Lamar Jackson specifically. I think right. that his talent as a passer hasn't changed much. I would have actually liked to have seen it improve, but you know, for the most part, I don't think it's changed much. But I think that there's there's two elements at play here. The first is that the Ravens just don't have a very good receiving core, uh, and that and that plays a part in it, you know, whether or not they get open, you know, whether or not he's got the ability to kind of find those open guys, et cetera. Whether they catch this, the ball in the case of Marcus. Yeah, and, and catch the ball, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it would have actually been a less exciting game if they had caught the ball a little that's bit more true, consistently. Um, but uh, the, the second part is, uh, and, and I say this with a bit of irony, I think the Greg Roman offense has been solved, but not in the way that people typically talk about it with running quarterbacks. I think the passing game is relatively simple, and I, I probably wouldn't come to this conclusion on my own. I, I think that um, based off of the film people that I respect that talk about this sort of stuff, you know, people like, um, you know, Seth Glean at PFF, the people like um, uh, Smart Football, whose, whose name just I, Chris Brown Chris at Smart Brown, Football. Yeah. Um, and a couple of other people, Derek Lawson and Football Outsiders, you know, the, the, they've talked about how the Greg Roman passing offense, Justice Mosqueda, freelancer, they've talked a lot about how this passing offense is just not that interesting, not that complex, and, and not that aggressive or uh, modern. Uh, and I think Chris Brown remarked that it hasn't really changed in the last 20 years. And so um, from a play design perspective, that might be an issue, too. Um, now, if, if, if Mar Jackson is, is physically in a better spot than he was before, and it does seem like that. I, I think the Philly game doesn't provide us with the, the best evidence of it, but I think that this game does because he was cutting, you know, right. and, that, and that was pretty important. You know, that's yeah, kind when of he where... wasn't sliding, but he wasn't slipping and sliding. He was, he yeah, was right. Yeah, pretty, exactly. When, he was cutting when too well, maybe. The, the, yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> the grass couldn't even maintain his cuts. Yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, I, I think that with all of that and his base being there, I think that, you know, for the most part, when he was throwing the ball, it was accurate. Um, that's fine. But if, um, you know, the reads aren't there, if the timing isn't there and mind you, he's had some injuries on the offensive line that he's had to deal with as well, that, that shortens the amount of time he has to, to read the field. Um, that I think all of that, you know, plays a, a role in, in whether or not that passing game, you know, kind of has it, um, again, you know, the, the Ravens are one of the few teams that you can kind of trust to be efficient running the ball uh, so long as they kind of maintain the successful run designs that they had last year. Uh, and it seems like that's, you know, still on the table. Um, so again, there's a floor that other teams just don't have offensively, but I, I think if you're not going to be able to pass the ball, you're not going to be able to win. Uh, and so it, it's just kind of whatever that bar is for most teams, it's a little bit lower for the Ravens. Uh, and so they're, they're going to need to figure out something. And I don't know if that's something that can be figured out in this late into a season right before the playoffs, but um, for them, I, I think the potential is there. Again, they're a high variance team that that has a lot of big play um, opportunities that they just need to be able to convert. Yeah, yeah. So they yeah they, they weren't converting early on those. They did convert. 
later on those. I mean, he missed Mark Andrews on a, on a pass that was on him yeah. um, um, at one point in the game, but he also hit hit uh, Hollywood Hollywood. I put quotes around that now because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> every, every, it seems to have been stripped from his his name there. Hollywood Brown on the the fourth and six was a pretty gutsy throw for the fact that he he looked like he pretty easily could have run for it um, mm-hmm. at, at that point. Now uh, you actually brought something up that I want to. I want to I want to glance into your perspective on this because I really I really trust your perspective on a lot of these different issues and I probably come at things from a little bit too much of uh, uh, the numbers tell us X coaching doesn't matter all this sort of stuff but when it comes to coaching something that that's been on my radar and especially about Greg Roman is the fact that he's getting a lot of criticism this season now if I remember correctly maybe maybe I'm wrong or maybe it was the wrong people saying this last season. There was talk of, hey, this guy should be a head coach somewhere because yeah. his scheme is so good, <laughs> which I thought was a little bit weird because it's like, it's yeah, that doesn't matter to a quarterback, a right? Yeah, it's yeah. pretty specific <laughs> quarterback. So I'm, so I wonder just generally, while I, I think the people you mentioned who were who were saying these things about the scheme, like they're very smart. I, I trust their opinion, but I'm always trying to figure out where is where is the the truth or, or where is the certainty and where is the murkiness in performance versus coaching because often even in the course of a season you'll say week one you know week one the Browns they get they, they, they get killed by the Ravens they don't play well people say you know what Stefanski didn't do a good job scheming up and then the next couple weeks later they kill someone they say hey Stefanski did a great job it's like well is it really like is he bad one week and then not not bad the right. next week or or are we just building that into to, to what's going on are we, are we putting too much on the coach because we see the players as fixed as more fixed talents and the coaches as what's maneuvering everything around it where that's not necessarily the case yeah well i mean there's a there's a couple of areas that we can kind of draw a signal from i think the first i think is that um greg roman is is despite the successes he's had and i think colin kaepernick is is the other you know big success that people can point to uh, he does not seem like in 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 situations where where he's available as an offensive coordinator, he does not seem like a particularly coveted offensive right. coordinator. So the coaching community does not seem to value him as much as they would, um, you know, someone that we might call a bad offensive coordinator like North Turner, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, some of that is relationships, some of that is history, and you know, there, there's all kinds of reasons for that. But Greg Roman's been in the NFL for a long time. He's developed a lot of relationships, and he does not seem like a particularly coveted offensive coordinator. And so that that might mean something to us. Um, you know, the fact that he's not a coveted uh, you know head coach that's not an important signal to me because that's like ownership and search firms and you know buzz and so like I I would not have guessed that for example Zach Taylor was a coveted head coach. Yeah, I was, right? I was, just, I was just about to say proximity yeah. to Sean McVay. Yeah, right. Yeah, things. exactly. Um, and so, you know, that, that's a less important signal, but I think that's one thing. I think the second thing is, you know, if we're asking a question about whether or not it is related to player talent or whether or not it's related to, you know, coach design, um, and you've got a coach with this kind of history, you know, when else has Greg Roman been successful? Well, he's had an extraordinary running talent in Colin Kaepernick, which worked like once, right. Um, one and a half years, maybe. Um, but you know, hadn't, hadn't kind of worked out since then he didn't do, um, where we using Buffalo with Tyrod Taylor, right? Um, yeah, yeah. that, that was not a, a remarkable offense. Um, not that, not that Taylor is like, you know, this, this like quarterback that got, you know, jobbed out of a, an opportunity with the chargers or anything like that. But like, well, it was uh, like a high floor, I would say. Like yeah, high, I would say he's a high floor. I mean, I, yeah. I don't think that his game is all that different from Alex Smith, except that he holds onto the ball quite a bit longer. Yeah. Um, and, and you can, you can work with that and you can turn in some, some pretty decent offenses, but, um, I think that's the point, right. Is that, that Roman has not done a great job with, 
you know, what we'd regard as average talent. He has done a very good job with some specific talents. Like I think, for example, the, Joe Flacco has looked a little bit better with the Jets than he did in his final year with Greg Roman, right? Yeah. Um, maybe, but like, I, I think that's an indication to me, right? Like the Jets are, I think, universally agreed upon to have uh, a really bad offense for whatever reason. And, and Flacco turned in, you know, some pretty good stretches of play relative to what we expected Flacco to be based off his time in Denver and his final year in, in, in Baltimore. And again, that was with Greg Roman. So whenever he's had average or subpar talent, it hasn't really turned into a ton. So um, if his only offenses that have been good have taken advantage of unique talents that in fairness to him might not have been taken, you know, fully exploited in, in other systems, um, you know, then it doesn't really seem like he's this remarkable offensive mind, but rather a, a unique offensively minded talent that can take advantage of a particular type of offensive opportunity, but not some others, right? Like Shanahan has produced some really good offenses and sometimes with mediocre talent. And when he gets great talent, like Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, et cetera, you know, you've got an MVP season when he's got okay talent. And I don't know what you'd call Robert Griffin before injury, but you know, there's, there's something there when he's had, uh, you know, he was with the Browns. I mean, there, there were some opportunities there where you saw, Hey, this guy's pretty good. Uh, yeah. and, and some of the guys that I respect from a film perspective, um, were able to identify this before his offenses exploded in Atlanta. I think, um, in 2015, for example, Charles McDonald wrote a piece for the Falcoholic that, you know, essentially called Kyle Shanahan, one of the best, uh, offensive play callers in the NFL. And at the time that, I mean, the 2015 Falcons were just not that interesting of an offense. Uh, and, and, you know, lo and behold, 2016, you know, you go to the Super Bowl. So, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's some signal from, from people that have a pretty good track record from outside of the coaching community, people like, you know, McDonald and, and Mosqueda and, um, and Chris Brown and, and so on. And then also some signal within coaching circles between, you know, how coveted um, an offensive mind might be. You know, we know McVeigh is a great um, offensive mind because his assistants keep getting hired, right? Yeah. Um, or, or people who have like had a cup of coffee <laughs> gotten hired. Right. right. Uh, and we know Andy Reed is, is kind of the same thing. Um, that's not really the case, I think with, with Greg Roman. So um, there's All a couple right. of areas. I think we can render, I think we can render a verdict on Greg Roman. Let's just go ahead. I think I'm ready. Yeah. Stamp. Bad. No good. Great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no worse than worse than uh, Shadowhead, which is kind of like everybody. Right? <laughs> right, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just say that now. Okay. Now on the other side, Tell me if I'm because I'm I'm biased on the other side of of the field, which is which which is what Kevin Stefanski is doing, who you are aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, I was about to say intimately, but that, that's not right. But you're you're <laughs> you're very aware of familiar Kevin, with that. Yeah, yeah. familiar with with um, Stefanski from his time in Minnesota. Uh, I mean, I had this. Of course, I I was largely operating on faith when the hire came in in the first place because I yeah. said this is the guy they wanted last year. This is the guy they want this year. Um, I trust, you know, De Podesta and his his brain trust there uh, versus, you know, the, the f- football guy world for for this sort of guy. So, has there any? So, there's something that that I thought was interesting about him is that okay, he's doing the play calling, so he's, he seems to be doing a good job, or people are saying he's doing a good job there. But I think there's also this other aspect, and I think this is the hard part to get it, this, this, like, how are you as a manager? And I actually honestly felt more comfortable in that sort of realm, because that's what people would point to, is to say that he's, you know, the organization, the have being even keeled, um, you know, being, they say, I'm trying to think of what it is, like being real, whatever that means, like kind of being yourself, as opposed to maybe, 
you know, screaming at someone or trying to or, or doing something just for for a show sort of thing. So he had all of those traits. What what do you think about Stefanski so far? Because the reason that I'm going to say that I'm uh, I don't think the Browns. I think the Browns are a year away. But I I'm more confident on the Browns timeline for next year and the year after that because of Stefanski and and what he's done there. I feel like it, it, that's again it's like a floor raising sort of situation, even if Baker Mayfield isn't. Um, has a lower has a lower floor as for a quarterback. Yeah, um, it, one um, one thing that's kind of interesting to me, obviously, is that the Browns are winning despite a negative point differential, um, yeah. and that and that feels weird. Um, that that reminds me of you know Sean McDermott and the Bills having a negative point differential heading into the playoffs, and now a lot of people consider you know Sean McDermott to be a good coach. I don't think there's a ton there, but it, it's nice to kind of remember that example to to kind of say a eh, negative point differential doesn't mean you're a bad coach necessarily, at least. Um, I, I would say that other than Adam uh, Gase, who I believe had a negative point differential when he was in, uh, was in Miami <laughs> and they were making the playoffs, but anyway, well, we'll, yeah, that. Yeah, well yeah, yeah, sure. So, so <laughs> certainly it's a, there's an open book opportunity there, but, um, you know, one thing that I'm kind of reminded of, um, Adam Harstad, who not a ton of people follow, but I think the people who follow him think that he's a yeah, pretty, pretty smart mind. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, he pointed out that the the thing with evaluating coaches is that the ex, that we have the most signal to the stuff that might matter the least. Things like clock management and um, you know whether or not play calling looks interesting, right? And right. the stuff that you're talking about being a good manager is stuff that translates into wins, of course, um, but is very difficult to evaluate. Like I, I, I maybe it was easy to identify Bill Belichick as a good coach because the Patriots were such underdogs early on in his career, uh, and and they were able to turn in some wins. Um, but a lot of good coaches, you know, might be kind of difficult to identify based off of, you know, kind of the resume of their history. I mean, like, you know, we've had special teams coaches win the Super Bowl twice now um, yeah. as, as head coaches. And, you know, I don't know what the signal could have been there. So I, I think that um, from an interpersonal perspective, I've had a couple of conversations with Stefanski, um, both before he became an offensive coordinator and, and after. Uh, and, and certainly I think the, you know, his experiences have changed him. I think before he became an offensive coordinator and he was a position coach, he was actually a lot easier to talk to. And, uh, the genuineness that you're talking about, was, was, uh, instantly identifiable as soon as he became an OC and then obviously a head coach candidate, he clammed up a lot, um, which uh, yeah, I guess makes sense. There's, you know, kind of more of a microscope, but you know, that awareness is probably a good thing. Um, as, as a head coach, I would probably say that there's a, a lot there. And I think one thing that points to that is how he was able to assemble such a great staff around like getting Bill Callahan as an offensive line coach, what a remarkable get. And we we've seen that translate into, into games right away. We've seen Joel Batonio return to form. We've seen, you know, two offensive line um, acquisitions turn um, really remarkable. It seems like they've scouted Jedrick Wills um, pretty well as well. So um, there's, there's a lot there to say that, you know, um, his ability to, to find uh, and hire talent, um, it, along the offensive coaching staff is, is something to be kind of proud of. You don't have to just make sure that you hire, you know, Greg Williams and say the defense is solved, right? Like you've got um, some, some real coaching talent. So um, there's that. I, I think that um, the, the play design aspect of it, um, it's easy to get caught up in like the Jarvis Landry passes and stuff like that. But I think, you know, for the most part, he's following play calling tendencies that we would argue um, are, are translating to effective football, high play action rates, motion at the snap, so on, um, while still, you know, finding ways to maximize the particular talents that he has. Again, that remarkable offensive line, um, you know, they've committed to a run heavy attack in a way that does not seem as inefficient as you would think. Um, it seems it, lighter in a way though, than Minnesota. And I'm not sure if even by the numbers, that's the case, but it's, you know, seems, I, I, I agree it with you. It seems lighter. Seem, but, yeah. but maybe that's because well like, they're ahead a lot, right? We're in yeah, that, I think I think that helps. I think that helps. But maybe it's yeah. also 
uh, whatever you think of Kirk, Kirk Cousins, maybe if you think of Cousins, Diggs, uh, Thielen, it seems more attractive to pass in, in a way, <laughs> in a way, in a way <laughs> than than what um, than than what the Browns have. But I don't know. It's just because this is again, I, you can't really credit Stefanski with this. Maybe you can credit Callahan and other things. But they get some really explosive runs out of the oh, out, yeah. out of. I mean, and I don't know if it's Nick Chubb and Cream Hunt. The fact that they're two of the most difficult running backs to to tackle on the planet and if it comes to that. But I'm just always surprised by how often, maybe, like I said, this is anecdotal, so I haven't tracked it, how often, you know, Nick Chubb is scoring where they're not in, even inside the five-yard line. You know, sometimes they're, they're, they're seven yards out or they're 15 yards out. It's just kind of some easy ways of, of, getting, of getting scores. And then one thing I want to mention about Callahan, which I think maybe this is, again, I'm, I'm fanboying a little bit too much here and revealing my Stefanski fandom here, but there was, uh, he was mic'd up for the, um, the Bengals game. There's this interesting thing on the sideline where they ran it, they got it very close to the goal line. And then he went over to Callahan. And he said, hey, what, do you, "What do you think we should do? What, like, what do you think we should do here?" And he's he's like, "I think we should just run that same, you know, run it again." He's like, "Oh, just do it again." He's like, "Okay, sounds good." And then he just calls into Baker, and he's like, "I forget what he says, Xerox or something," which is just run the same play again. And then they score <laughs> a touchdown, right. and he comes over there, you know, congratulates. Him. It's like little things like that. I feel like can really build something. I mean, how often is the offensive line coach basically calling a critical play at the end, or, right. or the head coach allowing him to do, to do that in that sort of way? Yeah, I think a collaborative atmosphere is a sign of a good uh, a good head coach. I think, um, for example, some of the worst uh, head coaches the Vikings have had, like Brad Childress, for example, you know, really well known for not um, developing a collaborative atmosphere either between the players or between the coaches and the head coach. Um, whereas uh, some of the better um, coaches that you find tend to seem to generate, you know, that collaborative atmosphere. It's a reputation that Andy Reid has had. Um, you know, I, I guess Doug Peterson is no longer a good head coach, but while people were talking about how good a head coach he was, that was something that he had. It's yeah. something McVay is a little bit famous for. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that that's another sign of a good coach. You know, th- these are all qualities that seem necessary, but not sufficient. It's very difficult to identify all the qualities that make a good head coach, but um, to the extent that, that we've got, you know, some signs that someone's a good head coach, I think Stefanski is most of them. Okay. And what about the Browns? Cause there is some talk. I think it's crazy. I mean, I think it's a little bit crazy talk about the Browns being maybe a force in the playoffs this year. Um, I mean, it's kind of like more of a first take sort of, sort of, sure. <laughs> sort of thing that I've seen, that I've seen out there. Um, I mean, I feel like they're, they're, like I said, a year away, but there is like a baseline that if anyone gets into the playoffs, they have a chance of winning. I mean, Eli Manning happened twice, right? Right. Um, of Joe course, yeah, the defense. Once. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Both those guys had probably a little bit better defensively. Do yeah. you think this Browns team could compete? Maybe not this year, but could compete next year. Like, well, well, that would be my that would be my thing for them. Like, is is this really a, a team that? Or, or is there some caution? Should you throw some caution? And wait, wait, actually, you know what? More specifically, I want to focus on Baker a little bit here because they're going to have to figure out they're going to pick up his fifth-year option if they're going to extend him. So that's also like a strategic thing when you're looking to next year and the following year is do you do you lock yourself into Baker Mayfield after what we've seen this season? Sure. Um, I One, I think, way to frame this, how did you feel about the Titans heading into this year? I felt okay. I felt, I felt better about Tannehill than some other people at least. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I don't think that this is too dissimilar from that. 
Um, you know, run heavy attack with a surprisingly efficient quarterback that not a ton of people believed in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, pretty good play calling and, you know, maybe a stronger defense than what the Browns have, but, um, very, very similar offensive, like essentially, you know, similar offensive language and terminology and tendencies. So, um, I, I think that that serves as a pretty decent comparison and obviously the Titans, you know, did, I think a little bit more in the playoffs than a lot of people thought. So, um, you know, that's, th- those are all kind of pretty good, um, points to, to look at. Um, and I would say, yeah, I, I think, um, especially the injuries that the Browns have had on defense that they haven't had an opportunity to play Del Pete, um, or, or Greedy Williams this year. Um, I think that, you know, talent in the secondary is the, you know, I guess the most important talent to have. Um, I think that they're likely to improve on defense, which is great, which is good because I think that there is a lot of opportunity for regression on offense uh, and um, either because of play design or because, you know, it's a run heavy attack or, you know, Baker doesn't get, you know, the open looks that he's had um, kind of in this stretch of the season. Um, and, and, and so I think that there's um, a pretty decent chance that, that the Browns become um, a little bit more solidified. I mean, it might be a situation where they're a better team and the record gets worse again, because, you know, we've just been talking about how the record is a little bit um, kind of off based off of their talent. But um, yeah, I, I think as for Baker, I mean, that one's tough. I mean, the fifth year option gives you kind of a unique opportunity to not commit, but um, it's kind of unusual to give a quarterback a fifth year option, but not an extension. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I it's a, plus it's different now, right? So the, the fifth year option is fully guaranteed now. So yeah. there's no, yeah. there's no like take backs, right? <laughs> like you can't, were, you can't play like, the, uh, like there were in the past and it's like, he's the number one pick too. So it's going to be, I don't know what, yeah, what it is, a $20 million option or something. It's not going to be cheap. Well, it's going to be more cause it's the, it's the franchise value for quarterbacks. So, oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. 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 The okay. top 10 picks for the fifth year option of franchise value. Okay. Um, I mean, which is just nuts, but um, that's yeah, that's how it works, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that they would take the fifth year option. Obviously, you you commit yourself to essentially two years if you do that, the fourth year and the fifth year. Um, but I, I think that gives you enough data to make a decision. Um, and I, I think that that's what they do. And then they can replace the fifth year option with a long term deal if that fourth year works out really well. Um, I, yeah, I, I think Baker's kind of the perfect quarterback to work with um, with this offense in a lot of ways. Just so. Um, you can kind of test a lot of the things that you want to do offensively with him. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would I would be an open book on him. The the second half of his rookie year was pretty remarkable. I don't think he's hit that yet, but you know the offense has turned in some pretty efficient passing games, uh, even with Odell Beckham out. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think he's certainly worth you know optioning at least. Yeah, he seems to be a good he seems to be a good fit. I was questioning the fit a little bit when he was struggling, but there were some weather issues. There were some other things that were going yeah. on. Um, the one, I mean, the one problem, like the interception that he had, um, where he, it was kind of like a simulated pressure. And then, um, I forget who it was. It was one of the linebackers ended up dropping out and then, and then intercepting him. I specifically, <laughs> yeah, I specifically, yeah. I mean, it's a good, it was a good, it was a nice, nice interception. It wasn't like yeah. an easy, it wasn't an easy one, but I specifically like listened to his press conference after that game. Cause I wanted to hear, there was a little bit of confusion as did he see him and think he could squeeze it by, or did he not see him? And it sounded like from his answer that he did, he didn't see it or he didn't see it enough. Um, that concerns me because that seems to be happening a lot. And those are the types of plays where I don't know how you correct that. Like, I feel like that's something in your, it, when you're in your third year in the league, I don't know if you can really coach that out of someone 
Uh, you could probably coach so out of someone. Don't throw that if you know you, you can't throw that, even if you see it. But if you if you don't see it, I don't know. What, what, what do you think there? But I'm just I'm just um, speculating on something like that because that's that's my concern with Baker is that maybe he still has the potential to throw you out of a game that you've done everything right as right. a coach and as a play caller and everything else. Um, so I guess I'd have to figure out how often that happens because um, Cousins threw a pick like that against Atlanta where he just did not see the linebacker at all. And yeah. he is not a particularly turnover prone quarterback. He's maybe one of the most coachable quarterbacks in the NFL, I think to a fault. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, you know, that, that is that, you know, some quarterbacks can be very coachable, very good. And, and you can kind of move uh, them forward, um, you know, schematically and they'll still make that mistake from time to time. Um, yeah. So I guess I'm only it, thinking of it because he did the same thing. Maybe it was the first or second play of the season against Baltimore uh, where they had Calais Campbell jump, uh, drop out and, um, and he tipped the ball that ended up getting that ended up getting caught. So maybe, maybe that's just on my radar maybe, because of that. Yeah, maybe. Uh, well, maybe Baker's just u- uniquely bad at replacement blitzes. I don't know, but <laughs> that would be well, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then Mika Fitzpatrick got that pick six. Where that's a, a different thing. That was a guy you didn't see coming forward. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's what. Um, you know, you get to you get to rely on Stefanski's chops as a quarterback coach who um, has had to deal with much worse quarterbacks than Baker. I mean, he was the quarterback coach for Christian Ponder, um, which Christian I Ponder can't slander. imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's something that um, you you might be able to rep out for somebody as young as Baker. Um, I mean, youngish. I mean, he spent a lot of time in college, so third year is not quite the same for him as it is for others. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean that that's something that I'm comfortable optioning and and seeing if you know your your fourth year as a quarterback you can fix that um, with uh, with a coach that has basically touched every position on offense except the offensive line and seems to generate really good interpersonal relationships and seems to be a really good teacher. So um, yeah, I I don't I, I wouldn't say that that's something that is not you know teachable, but that I think just kind of really depends on how often this has happened. If this is a consistent issue, I think it's baked in the cake. Um, I, I guess pun intended. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, th- these things will happen to, to talented quarterbacks as well. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Actually, we'll, we'll talk about some of the turnover stuff when we talk about the Vikings later, because there's been kind of a, a flip there and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it'll be interesting with the Browns because you know they have some defensive talent that hopefully get healthy. They have a decent amount of cap space for a team that's done as well as they have, and I think next year will be an interesting, it'll be interesting strategic year, um, especially if the cap stays low because then you're going to find out maybe some teams with cap space will try to press their advantage in, in, in right. that sort of year while while others are cutting right, and and there'll be a potential for a lot of veteran talent, kind of mid level veteran veteran talent on on the market. Um, okay, let's hit. Wentz and Hurts really quickly. I mean, I talked about this some last week. Everyone's been talking about it everywhere. Do you want now? Are you officially right about Carson Wentz at this point? For those who don't know, Arif is a well-known Wentz skeptic. Um, or is it like uh, you, you uh, can well, say? How, what would you say? I, I you can say you hater. Can say hater because <laughs> okay. Because, I was trying to be. I was trying to be more. No, like, I, I understand. Th- th- there's I, a I rationale. There's more of a rationale to yeah. it than just a than just a, a, a you know a guttural sort well, of hatred. But go ahead. So well, so so the so there, there's a difference between you know my skepticism of Wentz, which I think is right. is rational, and 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 the bit that I run on Twitter. Right. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta have bits. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which, uh, which, you know, I grew up in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Went went to NDSU, which is in uh, Fargo, North Dakota. UND and NDSU. So UND is in Grand Forks. UND and NDSU are theoretically rivals. They have not been football rivals in a long time. I think NDSU has maybe run away with it. 
Um, although the nickel trophy still stays in Grand Forks. Uh, I, I have wanted, no idea what you're talking about, but go don't ahead. worry about it. Um, <laughs> but I decided that I, I hate NDSU and I hate all NDSU quarterbacks. So I decided to hate Wentz and I thought it'd be fun to just kind of, you know, have a bit about, you know, a quarterback that clearly everyone seemed to be in love with. Oh, so this wasn't like a draft uh, evaluation. Well, there was, there was a draft evaluation I where I did that happens a lot. Being, like, like draft evaluation skeptical. to hatred is pretty is pretty common in this. Oh it, yeah, yeah. no, it was, it was definitely yeah. the other way around. But you know, okay. as <laughs> as I you know put on like an objective hat and I was like, well, I should figure out if this guy, you know, seems to be a good prospect. I, I there were things that I was skeptical about, um, and you know, who knows, you know, you know which way or how much my biases um, impacted my evaluation. But um, you know, I, I had I had a lot of issues with Wentz. I thought that you know, for example, his his tendency to invite pressure in college was something that was just not going to go away. Um, and, and to his credit in 2017, he got rid of the ball a lot faster and he was able to manage that pocket and manipulate the pocket a lot better. Um, but as we know, you know, play under pressure is, is not stable. And so we kind of saw that kind of disappear along with, you know, potentially injuries impacting the way that he throws the ball and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I'm probably right on Wentz. Uh, I think that there is a high probability that I'll end up being right. Um, there is a potential opportunity where, you know, if Doug Peterson gets fired, or even if he doesn't get fired, um, you know, that they're going to give him another chance in, in 2021 and whatever issues that have impacted him, which could, again, be injury related, um, you know, go away. Right. Um, but uh, certainly he seems to be managing the pocket even worse than he did in college. He seems to, seems to be inviting pressure a lot more. And, and the thing is, you know, play under pressure is unstable. But whether or not you invite pressure tends to be stable unless I guess you're Ben Roethlisberger. Um, that is, is one of the only exceptions, but like quarterbacks that hold on to the ball tend to stay holding on to the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my theory for the instability of play under pressure is that it's kind of like clean pocket versus a, uh, versus a pressure rep. So it's like, um, Clean pockets look. It's like it's like it's like, to, it's like to, was it who's it Tolstoy where it was like every happy family is the same and every yeah exactly yeah uh, every ups, uh, every uh, unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. It's the same sort of thing. Like yeah. every clean pocket is kind of the same, and then every pressure is different. Sometimes it's a guy right in your face about to knock you down. Sometimes it's you had to, you, you roll to your left and you have a good throw and it's not a big problem. So I do think there's something with Wentz where he invites like bad pressure, like extremely difficult to be successful pressure. And now I was someone who was on the hater uh, on that hater aid when it came to Wentz also mostly because I was way too emotionally invested in the success of the Browns and and Sashi Brown and what they were doing there. And they passed on him. So then uh, 2017 there, was there dark. must have been a reason. <laughs> 2017 <laughs> was really dark. I can I can specifically remember. I don't know if it was a Monday Night Football game against against what at the time the Redskins now Washington Football Team, where he was making some just ridiculous plays. Like like four guys would jump on him and then he would just emerge out and then throw it down the field. And I was like, oh my, I can't take this anymore. This is this is ins- this is insanity. But those are the types of plays where now. It, like everything has to go right for it to for it to go right, and he was just rolling, you know, sevens over and over again and getting it every single time. And now that seems to be 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 more difficult now. So it's it's a play style change, but also he's just he, he he's not getting as lucky. I feel like I, I think that's part of it. And I think also at the beginning of his 2017 campaign, th- one thing that bothered me because Eagles fans kept on you know tweeting stuff at me, which yes, fair enough. I mean, I I put it out there right that like yeah. I think Wentz yeah. is going to fail and I think he's bad and I think his rookie year actually provided a lot of signal that he would not succeed. I thought his rookie year looked a lot. It was a bad. Lot of work. It was yeah. bad. Other than the people that said that 
Um, I remember there was a quote. If it wasn't that, for Jared Goff's historically bad rookie year. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, like, that everyone, would be everyone thought he was good or something as rookie year. You get these anonymous quotes of, uh, my favorite was, he's Peyton Manning before the snap and... Aaron Rodgers after, after the, the Aaron Rodgers <laughs> yeah. something like that. I was just like, oh, was he's like, the Whoa, best quarterback there. of all time, huh? Uh, but anyway, so go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, um, I, some of the stuff I saw early from from Eagles fans tweeting at me, I mean, there was a play where it, I forget which receiver it was he threw he throws it left deep downfield, and it hits the defensive back in the helmet. Right, just an objectively bad throw bounces off the helmet and into the hands of like whatever it was like Alshon. I mean, it was a touchdown yeah. and, you know, it goes down and the play is like a 70 yard touchdown. And people are like, yeah, you know, went through a 70 yard touchdown. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> this cannot possibly used as evidence as that Wentz is good. And then, and then as he goes on, he has these plays that look a lot more like uh talent than luck. Like you said, you know, against Washington, just kind of emerging um, unscathed from a pile of four players and, and firing a dart and stuff like that. But, you know, you know there's stuff where, you know, Wentz's natural ability kind of helped him out a lot as well. And so you could easily kind of project that going forward as somebody that that was was playing well in a way that you could kind of rely on. Um, it, there were questions, of course, when he went down, Foles uh, plays and, and lights up um, the best or second best defense in the league in Minnesota. Uh, that is maybe a question about kind of whether or not that's a offensive design thing or a quarterback thing. Um, but the Eagles didn't seem to think so because they gave Foles a huge contract as well. So uh, yeah. I, I don't know what to do with that, but it, it very much seems like both are bad quarterbacks now. Um, and, uh, and I'm, I'm probably going to end up being right on Wentz, but I think he's going to get another year either in Philadelphia with a new coach in Philadelphia with the same coach or somewhere else. I mean, there seems to be trade possibilities brewing for him. Now the other quarterback in is Jalen hurts. Now um, I was probably higher than, than most on him coming out. Um, I mean, the numbers were good, right? The numbers were good. I mean, he had this um, it's funny because I, I specifically pointed to Russell Wilson, not that he is Russell Wilson, but it was a similar late breakout, right? It was like you change systems, you have this, you have this late, yeah. late breakout um, situation. You have, like, I feel like you have to get in the four fives to really have this functional speed. It's one of those things where people compare, like, people say Wentz is an athletic quarterback. He is, but it's just because he's he's like fast and really big at the same time, yeah. which are which are which are good. It's good in a Josh Allen way where you're running, you know, quarterback sweeps and you're and you're well, there's piling a ton of people. like huge athletes that run four six, right? There's Allen, right. there's Newton, there's Luck, yeah, there's Wentz, right? But even Russell Wilson, he runs in the four fives, I think. He's not like a four fours sort of guy. Right. Like you just have to have this 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 threshold of, of being able. So I, I kind of I got some of those those vibes from him. But now the question is, people are pretty down on that pick, obviously. Now, I assume that you you were for the move to Hertz. After what we saw last week, does it change your opinion that much about Hertz going forward? Should it change your opinion that much about Hertz going forward? Because when I was watching the game, we talked about Wentz a lot. And again, it's, it's hard to get Wentz out of your head to compare yeah. them because because there would be plays where uh, pressure would come up the middle and immediately he's he's bailing. And, you know, maybe throws the ball away, maybe gains three yards. And for me, I'm like, wow, that was amazing. Just because if it was Carson Wentz, like he would have somehow tried to like sh shove the guy off and, and four and guys like were a on 15 him. 15-yard sack, and, yeah. And still, and still try to throw throw the ball. So like, I don't know if we have this like Wentz derangement syndrome when it comes to evaluating Hurts and how he did on Sunday. Yeah, so um, I I actually, I was worried about this, right? And so I, um, I, 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 I started my rewatch of the game right at when Hertz came in so that I didn't have yeah. 
um, this baseline. And I do think it says something that the offense became a lot more effective when Hertz was in. Um, but I don't think Hertz played particularly well, honestly. Uh, when his PFF grade came out, it was like a, in the 40s as a passer. Yeah, that, it was it was it was low. Although I do, I mean, it in, was in, lower in than fairness, I expected. In fairness, you know, the PFF grade, it's not. I mean, it's not like a CPOE type of like completion percentage over expected. But I think it's right. it's closer to that. It's like it's it's basically grading the throws more than it's grading. Yes some of these decisions like we mentioned of bailing early i mean he didn't take a sack right so you yeah. don't get credit you don't get you don't get credit for avoiding sacks you actually don't even get that much of a downside for taking sacks sometimes in our grading and but that's another subject um but anyway, so yeah, he, he did not grade well as far as a, on a throw by throw sort of basis. Yeah, I was I was surprised at that. I I I wouldn't have if I were to pick a number, I wouldn't have picked in the forties or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that he was a particularly good passer or anything like that. He was um, a pretty remarkable runner. I don't know how much of that is. I mean, when you see um, backup quarterbacks go in and and they're significantly better athletes than their counterparts, um, and and I've seen this a lot with Joe Webb, um, you know, replacing Christian Ponder. Uh, the defense just takes a while to adjust it even like so often I've seen it that it makes me want like think like well what if you just did it some it didn't have to be injury related yeah um and it seems like you know offenses are are experimenting with a little more but not in a way that that leads to any you know real commitment but you know yeah what if you just did it because it seems like when a better athlete comes in um, defense is just, it takes like at least a quarter, if not never to adjust to the fact that there are running threats. So I don't know how much of that is related to that, but, um, I think Ted Wynn just wrote a pretty good piece about kind of the offense that was there for Hertz and, and the way that they, um, designed those runs and stuff like that. I mean, he also wrote a piece on, on the Baltimore Ravens running design too. So maybe I'm just kind of confusing everything together, but, um, I thought they called a pretty decent, um, game given, you know, his running threat. I thought that, you know, some of his running threat is obviously spontaneous, but yeah, I don't know that the Miles Sanders touchdown, for example, happens without the threat of, of Jalen Hurts. So yeah, that, that's always a question with running quarterbacks, right? Is how much do they open it up for right. for the running game? And, and um, the evidence seems to suggest that they do, right? But yeah, yeah, how much, yeah. right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it was one of you know they had the the next gen. Um, well, it was based upon this this competition that they had for the big data bowl. Someone came up with the rushing yards, the, the rushing yards expectation, over-expected. yeah, over expected. So the Which, expected wh- number is based upon the modeling that they had done. And if you see, there's this weird thing with the Ravens running backs where their expected number is very high and their over expected number is high, which means there there might not, not they, they, there's probably something that's not being captured about Lamar Jackson even in the overexpected number, you know, it's, right. it's, it's not an accident that Mark Ingram has is not only as, but, but, but I thought the baseline was really interesting for those running backs because it was well into the fives was even the expected number for, for running backs where you weren't seeing that for, you know, Derek Henry and others. Yeah. Um, and, and that, that is a metric I'm very interested in because it was last year, all the 49ers backs were at the top and, and that <laughs> seems to imply, Oh, it probably has a lot to do with play design. Uh, but then Derrick Henry is like dominating and you're like, well, I don't know if play design has much to do with what Derrick mm-hmm. Henry is doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like uh, this year, Nick Chubb is, I, I think Nick Chubb was rushing yards over expected total. He was the leader even while he was injured. Um, that is like fascinating to me as well. So, I mean, as an aside, that that metric is is just, I'm endlessly interested in it. And because of the way that the the, you know, the design of these models works, you know, I'm not going to ever know kind of what all the inputs are. But um yeah, I mean, well, it'll be interesting to kind of see how the evolution of that model might evolve to take into account, um, you know, whether or not quarterbacks are expected to be runners or whether or not the play design makes it look like the quarterback's expected to be a runner, which is a soft signal that they are. 
Um, but yeah, I mean that that for in the case of Jalen Hurts provides you with a floor again um, that gives you offensive output and offensive potential. And I think the 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 big thing with Wentz versus Hurts is Wentz is not getting you those those positive plays, um, but he's certainly getting you negative plays, and Hurts is avoiding those negative plays. So whether or not he's getting you those positive plays seems to be. I'm not going to say irrelevant, but it seems to be less of a consideration given kind of the alternative. Um, you know, the discussion surrounding Wentz uh, and, um, you know, what a lot of people would call excuses, I think is totally fair. That offensive line is bad. His receiving core is really bad. That has nothing to do with kind of how good of a quarterback he is. And his numbers look worse than they should based off of the talent of play that he's putting together. But he's not a good quarterback. Um, and and you can see that when Hertz goes in and does not throw particularly well and still ends up with much better throwing production um so yeah i yeah, mean I, I, yeah i, I mean I, I, yeah the surrounding stuff is is interesting i do think there are some issues at receiver i do think some other issues but yeah it's not the good old days where you would say the eagles have a top three offensive line and um yeah their fans would get mad at you for because somehow it implied something about Carson Wentz. I think like it was was yeah, the, was the rationale. It was like, no, they're not good. It's like, isn't this your team we're talking about? They're not that yeah, good. So is your team's let's issue. go through them one by one. Do you think Lane Johnson is bad? Do you think yeah, uh, yeah. Jason Kelsey is bad? What about yeah? What about Jason Peters? Let's talk about these guys. <laughs> Yeah, you're signing them all to uh, record-breaking contracts, so I hope they're <laughs> I, I, I hope they're good for for your sake at, at that point. But yeah, yeah. So I mean, do you think there's any chance that you could be confident in Hertz next next season as a starter if he plays well enough for the rest of the season, or is it like mid second round pick? It's almost impossible to do that. It it would it would take a lot to convince me. It would take a yeah. lot. Um, even even Mahomes week 17 when he when he played instead of Alex Smith I mean that was a really great game and I was still like yeah I've got no idea who this guy is right um obviously a three game sample is better than a one game sample and a three game sample that seems to matter I, I don't really know what's going on in the NFC East race um but it seems to matter um it is going to be more impactful but um I mean it would it would take a lot it would take at least two legitimately high level passing games for for me and again i think that that's you know a little bit further away for him um for for me to consider that as as a potential controversy i think if the eagles stuck with wentz i think that that is a defensible decision because your ceiling seems to be higher with him based off of what we know from the two quarterbacks yeah yeah i i, I agree there although as we mentioned you know the third down stuff we're going to need that was part of that <laughs> right part of that ceiling so uh, when we'll, Stephen we'll ruiz wrote that article saying that wentz was overrated in 2017 because of his third down stuff i mean people got so mad they're like oh yeah, he's good like... because he's good you nailed it and he's like oh, that's not really i love you know i love making. steve i feel like he writes um about like the same 15 players always uh always in one direction so he's like can't like this week he's like cam newton gotta get that cam newton's better than yeah he's, wrote, he's written every... a couple of cam <laughs> Deshaun Watson every year it's like oh let me tell you why Deshaun Watson is 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 great but no no but he's but he's but he's right about those guys so I'll 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 give him credit there all right so let's let's just go ahead and pivot now to um let's go let's let's go Vikings here let's let's go ahead and jump in here because we we spent a decent amount of time on on these other topics so I just want to look at this kind of from from a high level perspective now tell me uh, like I said the the conceit here I was going to say is you are now whatever title they make up for these people, president of football operations, yeah. head guru, um, whatever you're, 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 you're the, you're the dictator 
let's yeah, say. I'm, installed, I'm super installed. god, but not owner. Yeah. Yeah, super god, but not owner. And the owner is is disinterested, so you don't even have to check with the owner yeah. about 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 these decisions. He's, he's writing checks. That's all I need. He's, he's writing. <laughs> he's writing checks. Just hanging out in the box, uh, doing something else during the games, and. So you're above Spielman, you're above uh, Zimmer. Um, I'm not sure where the hierarchy is there, quite honestly. So you have to decide what what you're doing with this team going forward. And let me just briefly just say what I think about about the team, and then I'll then I'll then I'll turn sure. it over to you. So the things that point that, that jumped out to me was when I was looking at like success rate type metrics, whether it's defensively, offensively, it wasn't. A big difference, honestly, year over year. Um, now, defensively, you're not getting pressure, so so that's a difference, and maybe that was part of the reason why, from an EPA per play perspective, it's gotten a lot worse on defense, is because you weren't you weren't you weren't creating that pressure. But it seems offensively and defensively, a lot of it you could just throw in and say it's a turnover difference. Because I, I looked up some numbers on Pro Football Reference, and it was this year uh, about 15% of their drives are ending in turnovers on the offense. It was only 10% last year. On uh, defense, 10% of drives are ending in turnovers for their opponent. It was 17% last year, so it was really, really high last year. So that alone, I feel like, can can explain a lot of it. And I feel like this is a team that can compete, is better than their record, is better probably than teams like the Arizona Cardinals who were, it were in the mix to potentially make the playoffs. But if they don't make the playoffs, and like I said, you're, you're now the, the guru in charge, I don't know if you can run it back still because of the fact that it's been the nature of this team that it will just progressively get worse because of the contract situations and and and, and the feed of talent, which is now helping with Justin Jefferson a, a little bit on that end, but not necessarily everywhere. So anyway, so that that's my high level is that maybe they're not that different year over year. What what do you think about that take? Um, yeah, I would I would say that there's something to that, but I, I think that um, there there is a pretty substantial difference on defense that, that mm-hmm. that's worth kind of mentioning because I think. Um, some of the stuff like uh, I, I think, for example, the way that we talk about turnovers um, is a little bit kind of screwy because I think that turnover regression really only makes a ton of sense at the extremes because I think good defenses that prevent yardage are also defenses that tend to create turnovers. Uh, and there is some stickiness to turnovers. And I think you see that a lot more with above average turnover rate defenses than you do with extremely good turnover defenses. Uh, and so the problem with the Vikings is that they've had to adjust their scheme. Um, because of the change in the defensive talent. And so last week they played nine starters uh, on defense that they did not have uh, starting um, at the beginning uh, on their depth chart as starters in August or in, in 2018. Uh, and so the fact that the defense is performing as well as it is, which is obviously not up to the standards that you typically expect in Minnesota, I think is a credit to defensive design and, and, and Mike Zimmer because the talent on that defense is substantially worse. Um, and, um, you know, some of that is due to temporary injury like Eric Kendricks, some of that's due to long-term injury like Daniil Hunter and, um, and Anthony Barr. Uh, and some of that is due to like free agency attrition. So for example, you know, Xavier Rhodes, who's playing out of his mind in Indianapolis. Yeah, as, yeah. He, was, as, yeah. he had one foot in the grave and, and came back yeah. out. It was like it's like that Undertaker meme where the where the coffin opens yeah, exactly. up and he's, yeah. he's, he's back again. Um but yeah, you know, Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander, for example, they all left and and you know Waynes obviously is injured and Alexander's playing all right. Um but yeah, I mean it's it's an entirely new set of defenders aside from the two safeties, um, which seems like 
a pretty substantial change. And so um, I, I would say that uh, you know Zimmer's making the defense punch above its weight, whereas last year the defense was punching below its weight until I think a certain point in time when they changed from cover three to cover four. And, and, and there seems to be kind of a change. And that can be, you know, splits happen and I'm inventing a narrative, but it seems like the Vikings played a lot more cover four using SIS data that aligns with the increase in, in defensive performance in the second half of the year. So there's something there, right? Um, I, I, and, and they can't do that anymore. They can't play cover four because they don't have the horses to. Um, so they're playing a lot of cover two, which a lot of people think is, is kind of a solved defense, which uh, it's not because there aren't any solved defenses, but quarterbacks are it's a little are bit a of a Renaissance similar. though. I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah. And, and again, I don't think there are really solved defenses, but quarterbacks are comfortable attacking cover two, especially given how there seem to be stronger arms in the NFL now. Um, and, and that gives you those corner wraps that sometimes are pretty good there. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, you know, a lot here and there, but I think, you know, the lack of pressure, I think the lack of, um, and linebacker plays typically does not correlate very strongly with overall defensive play. I think the way that they used to design that scheme made it seem a little stronger for them. Um, but yeah, I, I think that some of the stuff that they're good at year to year, for example, they seem to be with the only defense in the world that is good at red zone at year after year, after year, after year, I, it seems to be a design thing. Um, and they seem to be consistently good at third down stuff. Um, there's something there in the coaching that, that makes that happen. But I think for the most part, all the stuff outside of that just makes them, it's so difficult for them to, to be able to consistently play defensively. So I, I think that there is, um, an issue there. I think, uh, a lot of that is going to be maturation, but, um, if I'm, if I'm super God that, you know, gets, you know, the, the checkbook, um, I think that we're pot committed to Kirk Cousins. Um, I would normally would want to take advantage of the the draft class and the pick that you've got um, to to trade everything for a quarterback, but I'm not going to see returns on that for like three years because of the way the Cousins contract is structured. Um, yeah. So I may not be able to do that. Um, I might trade for future picks. Actually, I think that's one of the things I want to do is I want to trade for future picks because of the crazy discount that you get on future picks, and I'm not going to be as um, pot committed to cousins in the future. So I think that that's one thing I want to do, um, which obviously raises a, a serious question about what you're going to do this year. I think you have to cut the Anthony Barr contract. Um, I think that you do that in order to retain Anthony Harris, who's uh, going to be a free agent. Um, and I think that safety is more important than linebacker. So that's something, and you've, you've generated a lot of potential value in the fact that those corners seem to actually be turning out to be pretty good on rookie contracts. So there's something there. Um, but yeah, my, my investments in the draft after I trade some future picks away um, will probably be um, some low cost linebackers to just replace Anthony Barr uh, and just to have somebody who can stop the run. Um, and also uh, take advantage of the fact that the, the the defensive line coach seems to be preternaturally good at identifying defensive line talent year after year and invest a couple more picks along the defensive line, wherever that talent may appear, whether it's defensive tackle or defensive end. Um, and that's, that's probably where I'm going to be. And then Vikings fans are going to be mad that they didn't focus exclusively on the offensive line. But I think that that's something that you, you still want to do, but I think that it's so easy to overrate the importance of the offensive line um, because you only see the negative plays typically, unless you've got a top three offensive line, like the Packers, the Browns, or sometimes the Bucks. Um, so I, there's going to be some draft investment in the offensive line if I'm super God, but a lot of it's going to be on that defense because I think, like you pointed out, the offensive success rate is actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think 
I mean, maybe this sounds, maybe this is too too hot, but I think there's an argument to be made that the offense is better this year than it was last year. I mean, I know you had a lot of um, explosive plays last year, uh, more explosive plays, more deep passes at least last year, but I don't know if that's necessarily sticky. You know, that's the stickiest thing going forward. They've been running the ball better for what that's worth um, this season. I think. Justin Jefferson versus Stephon Diggs. Now, this may seem hot, but this is um, interesting. I mean, he could be better, right? I mean, he could, he could definitely be a better player. A better I think that's a player. conversation worth having, and that's that is the most interesting thing in the world to me. Right? I mean, despite the fact that everyone's opinion of Diggs has gone up, right? Despite the fact that everyone's opinion of Diggs has gone up, um, there still is something about Jefferson. It's interesting when you see these guys in the NFL versus in college. Uh, he plays a lot more physical and bigger than I, than I thought there are than he measures or than all these sorts of things. Oh, yeah. what, he's, he's, he's six, he's one, so right? Strong. Yeah. He's like he, six. One. All, he, I he seems like a six, three receiver he looks six, two, he's six, three. So. I see him as six, three. I, <laughs> I don't know. Like, there are some of those guys who are like that, right. Who just, yeah. Who just don't, don't seem like that guy. So he looks like he could be off the charts. Good sort of, sort of uh situation where I think that opens up things somewhat um, offensively, even versus someone like Diggs. Not that Diggs couldn't do that, but, they were using him more. He was being used probably more down the field than than uh, at least that's where he was having his big impact. So yeah. so I guess that's the reason that I would be okay ignoring the offense and also the fact that they've invested you know a, a second round pick in in uh, Ezra Cleveland last year and then Garrett Bradbury the year before. So they've been investing a second round pick in a, in a tackle a few years before that that didn't end up so great. Um, so they, they've been investing on that side of the ball. So I, I agree there. So you you mentioned cutting some guys is let's look a little bit higher from the roster is so you're, you remember you you have you have the authority now to say what what you said makes me think that you would want to retain uh Zimmer because of the fact that he is the he's the, he's the the straw that stirs the the defensive drink and he's going to be the guy who's going to figure all these things out no matter who you're putting those guys in there um Spielman is since you're becoming de facto GM with these decisions, does it even matter when it comes to someone like him? Because I have trouble figuring out whether some of these GMs are good or not. The only thing I'll say for him is maybe press the press it a little bit too far with running it back and 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 continuing with the contracts rather than trying to figure out more outs and and more optionality that that he he didn't he didn't really yeah. build in much. Yeah, I think um, I think the stuff where. Uh, where Spielman shines is during the draft, um, not necessarily in talent evaluation, because, you know, it's tough to figure out if a GM is any good at that, given the general randomness of that. Um, but in generally doing a pretty good job of figuring out value, tending to come away with a lot more value than other GMs in trades, trading a lot, trading down a lot, figuring out the fact that it makes a lot more sense to have a ton of picks, stuff like that. I think that he's pretty good um, at, at acquiring talent in the draft. I think that his free agency record, I think, is something that Vikings fans criticize, but I think league-wide is about average. Um, which is valuable enough to me. Uh, and I think that um, some of the stuff that's, that's worth criticizing, I am not confident that he is um, 100% responsible for. Like, I don't think that he would have paid out that Anthony Barr contract, for example. I think that that is 100% of Zimmer creation. Um, well, because- then is Zimmer more of a problem than I would have suspected because of things like that? Uh, yeah, so there's a lot of things Zimmer's bad at, but those things are easy to identify, right? This goes okay. back to that earlier thing about how yeah. um, how coaches that, um, uh, how again, it's easy to identify um, some aspects of coaching that might matter a lot less. And obviously cap management's important, but I think that that only expresses itself 
in a couple of situations, right? Um, I, I think, for example, Zimmer might have wanted to keep Xavier Rhodes and, and Spielman was like, eh, not on your life. And while that yeah. would have turned out to maybe be a good decision, I don't know. Um, I, I think for the most part, there is a lot of assertiveness that Spielman can make, but there you are know, just some situations, for example, where um, you know, Spielman might think, I don't know if I want to spend that much on a nose tackle and Zimmer says we have to, and then they spend a lot on the nose tackle. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I think according to PFF war, actually Vikings nose tackles when they play well, actually do have wins above replacement, which is not very typical. Um, so there, there, there's something there. Right. But I, I would say that the stuff that Zimmer's bad at is easy to identify and it's very frustrating. He is just awful at game management, the pressure he puts on offensive coordinators to run the ball, you know, that stuff's not very good. He's also a 600 coach. Um, and those are tough to find. Um, like seven active coaches that have a higher win percentage than him, and one of them is Mike McCarthy, so it's fake. Um, I <laughs> so wow, shots fired. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many. Well, give it another season. Give one. it another season. Oh yeah, too. sure. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I I would say that uh, you know it's it's hard to find a top six coach. So uh, and also one of them is Doug Peterson, and and he's on the verge of potentially being fired, right? Um, and so I, I would say that it, it took Andy Reid like 20 years to win a Super Bowl, right? Um, obviously, he got there where the Vikings didn't, but do two NFC championship appearances not count either? Like, I, I think that um, he is a good coach at the stuff that is so hard to find and, and, and all that managerial stuff. And interpersonally, you know, he might not be a great coach. He probably doesn't develop the kind of collaborative atmosphere that we talked about. But whatever it is, it expresses itself in wins. Um, and so I, I would say that um, the only, yeah, the only situation where I get rid of Zimmer is where you start hitting an age curve, right? An age problem or um, yeah, you're absolutely blowing it up and you're comfortable maybe sucking through a few coaches and a few quarterbacks. Uh, and I don't think the Vikings are there yet. And I think it'd be difficult for them to be given Cousins' contract. Okay. Well, okay. So when it comes, this reminds me of this, I'm assuming you saw the, Stefan Diggs interview where he doesn't say who we don't know if he's talking about Spielman we don't know if he's talking about Zimmer I assume they'll be the two the two potential uh people he could be talking both. about Stefanski you got to watch out could be talking about Stefanski that's a good point although um I think it's a little bit above above uh <laughs> yeah, right, his yeah. pay grade um and plus this is a contract from a couple of years ago right like when when did he sign it was it before Stefanski was OC? Uh, it was before, but I think the understanding is that Stefanski would become the OC okay. when he signed okay. it. Okay. Anyway, well, but details. But so, yeah. so his his so the, for those of you who didn't who didn't read it, it was nice, good um, red meat for our uh, for nerds. It was to, take. To say, it was take propaganda. That's what yes, it was. Take propaganda for for nerds. So of course, Ben Baldwin was on it immediately. He has some. He has another bot which searches for anything that's that says don't don't run the ball and immediately <laughs> right, yeah. tweets tweets it out. So so Diggs said that he felt like he was deceived. I guess is maybe the right word. Um, right. Misled. Uh, maybe is the misled, softest way to put it. Yeah, yeah, softest way about the direction. Well, not the direction of the office, but his usage. He just said his usage, so we don't know what that means necessarily. And then, when it, obviously, we know that they were very run-heavy, that he was not being targeted a whole lot. He was productive because he was super efficient, but there were stretches that he was not getting the ball, and he was complaining, and those sorts of things. So when it comes to that, is that a concern about the Zimmer-Spielman regime is this a Stefan Diggs issue? You know, maybe, maybe it would have happened otherwise. Because when it comes to someone like Kirk Cousins, I could see him being a great match for Zimmer because 
he'll just like take it, right? He'll be he'll take it and he'll be constructive. Like I don't think he's gonna mope. He's not a moper, right? He's not a moper. Yeah. He's like he's 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 a, he's a grinder, right? He's like I'm gonna get better all, all the time, and I think that probably works with Zimmer. But maybe Zimmer doesn't work great with with certain players, and Diggs maybe one of them. Maybe if they bring in a new quarterback and he's just laying into him all the time, maybe that won't work well also. So is there any worry about these soft skills that people probably don't focus on at all? Or is there any value in just not having a grump as a head coach also? Um, yeah. Uh, what's interesting is that if it, when Zimmer was hired in Minnesota, the outpouring that you got from former and current Cincinnati players um, that were that were coached under him was extraordinary, not something I typically saw when coordinators got hired to become head coaches. Uh, and, and the testimonials were just out of control. Um, and, and that is kind of an interesting contrast with, you know, the fact that obviously with Diggs, it didn't work out. I think that there was a moment, um, where the Vikings quarterbacks, um, did not respect his defensive call and changed the call and decided to do something else. People were questioning whether or not he lost the locker room and so on and so forth. Um, I would say that, um, there is some chance that he'll lose the that that he can lose the locker room. I think that that chance is overstated, um, but I think that it's a risk. Um, I, I mean, there's a lot that's said about like, you know, if if um, you know some of the articles that were talking about this Diggs thing, we're also talking about how like Terrence Newman and Chad Greenway were like, you know, this new generation of players, et cetera. Et cetera. Right. I don't think millennials, that millennials, right? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think all millennials now. now they're right. all millennials now. They think yeah, right, I'm yeah, so yeah. old. I can't even say millennials anymore. Right, yeah, it's it's they're Zoomers now, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's a it's. I don't I don't I don't really think that that's a, a big concern or anything like that. Um, so I think that for the most part he can connect with players. I think that um, I don't think that this is a um, negative for Diggs, but I think it was somewhat unique to Diggs, if I'll say that. Um, I think that Diggs has a point that he was right and that's fine. Um, and that he wants to be with a franchise that wants him. Uh, and for him, that definition means using him in ways that, or just even using him. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and the contract is part of that, but also usage is part of that. And I think that that's like a totally normal human thing to want. Um, and so sometimes that's just not going to cohere with the team goal. And, uh, I don't think that that, you know, makes Diggs a, a worse person or a worse team or anything like that. So, I think that that's an issue, right? And I think that having to deal with that kind of change in relationships is something that that's difficult to manage. But I don't think that this is endemic um, to Mike Zimmer. And I think that there's a lot of um, evidence that that he attracts players too. For example, when Anthony Barr flipped on the Jets, like I don't think that happens unless he has a strong relationship with Mike Zimmer. Right, right. Okay, so you, when we've talked about Cousins. Maybe we'll go back to Cousins. Maybe I'll just give you this. This is this is a question that we can say for Cousins for everyone is you're wedded to him is base was basically yeah. what you said about him. Yeah. Which is you know it's like that's uh, a my, situation. My wife, it's like my wife or something, right? It's like you know you're not, <laughs> you're not exactly you're not exactly thrilled to, to say yeah. to say anything here. Um, I have no complaints about my wife. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but better yet, this sounds like a silly question, but but is Kirk Cousins good? Like, is he good? Because there, there are some people who are going to say, point at these numbers. They're going to point at these fancy schmancy, you know, numbers, and they're going to say he's good. There are other people that will swear on their lives that he is not good or isn't going to elevate the, the passing game and would 
are just they're, they're just annoyed to no end by things that he can do and the way that he plays. And they may even want someone who's not as good who would just kind of play in a different style or with a different aggression. I'm not sure exactly what it is. So so is is he good? I think it's a fair question because it is very difficult to find good quarterbacks with a career as long as his that have a 500 record. Um, obviously, quarterback QB wins. wins. We're having yeah. a QB wins. Well, quarterback here. wins are not a great stat, but quarterbacks long have, enough timeline though. You're right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. They have such a strong influence on wins that on a long timeline, good quarterbacks tend to express themselves in at least a winning record, right? Like I think the leader in um, quarterback win rate is Daryl LaMonica and nobody would argue that he's the best quarterback of all time. So there's something there to, to, to be said about how quarterback wins are, are not kind of universal and distinguishing between good quarterbacks, but um, it's tough. But I mean, we've seen, you know, for example, Deshaun Watson, everybody agrees is a good quarterback and you know, look what's happening. Right. Um, so, you know, it's possible. Um one would also argue that Cousins has had a better situation than most, given the nature of the defenses that he's worked with in Minnesota, the supporting cast he's had in Washington and Minnesota, at least from a skill player perspective. Uh, and I would say that the offensive line situation in, in Minnesota is easy to overstate from the perspective of Minnesota. Um, it's not a great offensive line situation, but neither is it unique among quarterbacks that have performed well. That said, um, I think that he is probably a good quarterback and I hate hedging on a quarterback. That's like eight years into a career or anything like that. Um, I, it also took me a while for me to recognize that Matt Stafford was a good quarterback. I'll say that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that if you I still might not be there yet, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's only because people think he's people, th- people are like, I, I'm being contrarian on that one. You know um, I remember going into this year, he did, take, he did take his a normal look thing. Organizations great of him after Patricia left. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. Stafford did his normal thing where he put up a, a decent season, and then everyone vaulted him up into like the top six quarterbacks, and then fell on his face. So yeah, he, the anyway, game example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but only, but you would argue that he was like good though, right? Like yeah, yeah no, maybe he wasn't good, the top definitely. six quarterback. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you lined up the the best, 30, if you were given a list of thirty two quarterbacks and you were given one hundred percent confidence that these are the best 32 quarterbacks on the planet, college, NFL, doesn't matter, right? And and you knew looking at the list that these are the best 32 quarterbacks in the NFL at the moment, right? Um, it, first, it'd be interesting to see if Wentz was on that list. But second, uh, <laughs> um, you know shot. that Kirk Cousins- help yourself. Right? I, I could. Uh, you know that Kirk Cousins would be on the list and um, you don't know how that list is ordered, right? And so you, you're now given the challenge of, of ordering the quarterbacks. You probably put Kirk Cousins in that top 16, right? I can't imagine that you wouldn't. Well, how about this? Let me let me reframe this. So let's forget the fact of what his contract actually is, and let's say that I believe he has a twenty million twenty one million dollar cap hit this season. It goes up to thirty one next season, then it goes to forty five the season after that. So let's say these were team options going forward. Okay, um, do you bring him back at thirty one? Do you now? Do you really think I need to get aggressive and trade up and get a quarterback? Although I, I feel like that's that's a dangerous um, thought exercise because just listening to talk around the NFL, it seems like there are always 20 teams who are supposedly right. going to trade up for one of these three quarterbacks and it never, you know, the, the numbers just don't work. Right. Um, are you comfortable bringing him back at 31? Do you think maybe I'll let him go? And there are, there are all these options floating around, right? I mean, well, none so, of them are that attractive, right? right? But, but do you, would, you, would you prefer one of those if, at if, a lower cap number? If these are magically 
options now. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Magical yeah. magic option years. Yeah. Because let, let's not just say I'm I'm married and I can't afford to get a divorce. Right. Let's say so, you, you could get out. Okay. <laughs> right. well, one, there are options. Two, it's a normal cap year next year, I think, is part yes. of this conversation. Okay. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll say that. We'll say that too. And there's some chance that it's, that's actually is fairly normal if right. we bump it up to 195 or whatever. And yeah. and I retain super god powers over the rest of the roster. If I've got if we've got yes. these three things. Yes. I I would decline the option because it, the uh, the roster is blow upable, I think. Um, it okay, is very okay. blow upable outside of the cousins thing. I can trade Rudolph. Um, I I've got, you know, some great talent on rookie contracts. Um, Kendricks is very tradable. I can cut bar. I can, you know, there's a bunch of stuff, but Anthony Harris has to walk regrettably. I can trade Harrison Smith. It's so blow upable. Um, but, uh, without, without well, I mentioned the offense is kind of there, right? So the offense, like it is, you'd it, want to lot, have a functional a lot of that's quarterback, baked in, right? right? A lot of that is, you know, you got Dalvin cook guaranteed. You've got yeah. Adam Thielen guaranteed. You've got Justin Jefferson rookie contract. Um, everybody, but Riley reef essentially is, is you're committed, right? And you're fine with that commitment, except for maybe Dalvin cook. Um, no, so you have the potential maybe to waste a year or to waste two years of these players. If you don't, get the quarterback if you try something at quarterback and it's not as good as cousins right you miss yes. which is the possibility no matter what you do that's a possibility Correct. right yeah yeah if if zach wilson is not like good right which is certainly a, a possibility right or whoever you're trading yeah. up for yeah and you might and not you, find that out for you have to give him at least two years right yeah you so, give him you give yeah, him two yeah. years and then uh, and then you have to make a tough decision and, and you get well, now two. that josh allen hit everyone has to have three <laughs> yeah and everyone yeah everyone gets three years now yeah um, you know, Jared Goff was good in two, Carson Wentz was good and then not good in two, but Josh Allen was good in three. So now everybody gets three. <laughs> yeah, that's the new, that's the new minimum. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Zach Wilson, um, you know, gets, gets to, uh, gets two years or whoever it is. Um, and, and now I'm facing another roster decision in two years. I'm comfortable with that for sure. Um, but, um, I don't think that that is a problem with cousins. I think it's an issue with Vikings team construction. I think that, um, the Vikings contracts are uh, mismanaged in ways that don't represent um, positional value very well. Um, I think that it is very difficult to get better with the age of the uh, of the players that they have. And I think that it's better to gamble on, um, let's say, 50-50 odds of Super Bowl relevancy for 10 years than, um, you know, the, the 60% odds of Super Bowl relevancy for like one year, I think is kind of the way that you're looking at it. Um, mm -hmm. I think that Cousins is worth $31 million in a vacuum. So that's the other part of that. Is Do that you think he would get $31 million from someplace else? On an open market? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Again, in so. a normal cap okay. year. Yeah. Um, like, for example, if uh, – I don't know how sheddable Jimmy Garoppolo's contract is, but I bet Kyle Shanahan it's would – It's very sheddable. Yeah. Well, then there you go. I think that Kyle Shanahan would whip up a, um, a, a, a – or snap up the, the Cousins $31 million contract. Like – you know, yeah. in a magical world where a veteran goes through waivers, you know, Kyle Shannon would be like, yeah, I'll go grab that guy. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I think that he would. And I think that um, rosters that seem complete, but don't have a quarterback, um, maybe the Giants are an example. I don't know. Daniel Jones seems to have a good PFF rate, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see yeah, about we'll that. See. But, you know, it, it, teams that, that don't have a quarterback, but, but have kind of the rest of that stuff figured out or teams that are moving on from quarterbacks, like the saints and the Buccaneers, for example, I think would be comfortable spending 31 million. Um, unless Taysom Hill really is the future. Um, so yeah, um, I, I think that he would find $30 million or more in an open market in a normal cap year. So um, that might be a way to frame it, but I think that the particulars of the Vikings make it difficult for them to be the ones that commit to that $31 million option. Okay. Now let's, let's, let's pivot back to their chances 
for for this season. I mentioned before we have about a fifteen percent chance of making the playoffs. They have the the Bears and the um, Cardinals to get past. They play the Bears to end the season. They've already beaten the Bears once, so that's that's nice um, for for that possibility. I don't. I feel like their team could like sneaky be competitive. You know, could win at least one game in the playoffs. Uh, I guess anyone could win one game. Maybe win two games in the playoffs. Do you, do you think I'm wrong? I guess I just see the NFC as a, a, beat, a very beatable conference. I mean, the Vikings beat the Packers, right? Like, it's it's, it's all there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I think that the, the Vikings can could, could potentially make some noise in the playoffs. I, mean, I wouldn't say that the betting odds would favor them or anything like that, but I think the betting odds, once the playoffs are set, I think the betting odds in the NFC are going to look surprisingly even, right? Um, so, I mean, we'll see. I mean, obviously the betting twitter is going to know a lot more about this than i will but yeah uh, so it's just going to depend on whoever has the the buy is going to be big i mean i yeah. think the saints are probably i think i still think the saints are the best team but really? man, i think it might be the rams. now they're not the buy so yeah it might be the rams um well that okay maybe that's that's my other question so the rams are getting a lot of buzz this week yeah specifically in this context of the rams are the team that can beat the chiefs this seems to be a new thing. So maybe I'll ask you oh, a couple. That's not even how I think of it. But I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe they could. Well, uh, yeah, well, th- well, this is a different thing. Well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll just totally change, switch, switch, switch gears here. And I just want to know, because I think this is an interesting discussion, because the, the, the thought was that they somehow have the defense that can beat the Chiefs. Is, there, a, is there a particular defense that can beat the Chiefs? Yeah, I, <laughs> that's part of the problem. <laughs> well, part of the problem was it was framed by someone who I don't remember. I'll just slander them anonymously. Was <laughs> shut down, shut down, shut and down. It's, it's, you, you can't, yeah, like, never, never use the word shut down um, when, when if, it comes. Yeah, to, if I'm the Rams, I'm hiring there. Paul Gunther exclusively for that matchup against the Chiefs. Let's see what happens. Okay, well, well g- give me your Rams take. Maybe, maybe we'll end it on this because I, I do think it's, I do think the Rams are interesting. I'm more skeptical, skeptical because I don't think they're that good offensively, honestly. Um, Oh yeah, but I guess maybe that's I'm wrong. Um, I think they've got the number one pass defense in the league, okay. <laughs> so I think that's part of it. Um, I yeah. think the fact that Troy Hill is good has made that defense just remarkable, right? Troy Hill, Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, uh, plus like three or four safeties that are all above average. Like that's that's pretty good. Um, I don't know who their linebackers like Troy Reader and and some guy that uh, had a really good game last week. I forget his name now. Um, both of them actually had both linebackers that were like a game last week. Doesn't matter. They've got a great secondary. Um, they've got a good enough defensive front and obviously they've got Aaron Donald, um, but Michael Brockers is good nose tackle. So they're, 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 I think they've got the best pass defense in the league. I think the run defense is good enough. Um, and obviously defensive signal is about half as strong in predicting wins as offensive signal. So clearly they need to be good enough on offense and, and they don't necessarily always have it. But I think that given how good that offensive line is, given how, um, high floor that skill group is, I think that they can manufacture good offense. And the McVeigh has demonstrated um, that while once his offense was solved, and I think Zimmer demonstrated a good part of that in their first matchup, he has been um, remarkably adaptable. And yeah, he got punked by Belichick, but I mean, like who doesn't get punked by Belichick defensively? Um, you know, the fact that did they, did they, they do a 45 on the paper. Like what happened there? Um, yeah, that was, it was like a reversal of the three points. To yeah. Three points, um, yeah. but, uh, I, that's not that important because the Patriots are a weird team right now, but, um, the fact that, that McVeigh is continuously, uh, innovating on offense and actually, you know, pulled it over Zimmer the following year tells me that the offensive design there, um, is probably going to be good enough to overcome the fact that Goff is like, whatever. So I think yeah. I offensively they're good enough for them. Um, you know, they're like, 
what like what would you say they're like the eighth ninth offense probably not you don't like that offense. yeah i mean they're they're in that they're in that range the problem is it's skewed somewhat by the fact that they run so much so that even a successful running team can kind of drag down some of those yeah. some of those averages. So yeah, I mean they're they're probably a little bit lower than that if you look at it as an offense as a whole. If you if you if you if you teased out the pieces and then you reproportioned it, um, it probably would be. Uh, well, if the, they're forced in the seven, into eight, situations, right? I mean, they're probably yeah. fine. That's the thing. It's like if they're forced to grind it out, they'll grind it out. If they're forced to throw, they'll throw and they'll be fine at it. So. Um, yeah. You know, play the play. Goff did that against the Bucks, right? It was surprising, but he just came out and yeah. Um, <laughs> who was it? The Monday Night Crew. Someone was. Uh, they were just going nuts the entire time about like <laughs> yeah, I can't believe they're throwing it again. What's yeah. going on here? It was like it was like aneurysms around the entire right. the entire but Yeah, room so they're like their happening. neutral play calling might not be great, but I bet that their situational tools are fantastic. So that that's something to work with. But sh- McVeigh is just is uh, he's a fake sharp though when it comes to these fourth down decisions and other things. Like he's just oh my god, he's so bad. He's that's so fair at these. that's fair but i mean like who's good at like which team is both good at football and good at things like fourth downs is it just the bills um yeah i mean it used to be the eagles it's the 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 ravens the, the browns ravens. our browns our new our new yeah, our uh, browns champion. so is there an yeah. nfc team let me think who is not the seahawks um <laughs> They got they got to be good at both. They got to be good at playing football and they got to be good at spreadsheets. That is a good question. Okay, yeah, cuz I'm not sure about I thought LaFleur was actually pretty good on these decisions. Uh, yeah, that that's thinking fair. about it. Yeah, he's, he's uh, You fine. wouldn't think so. You wouldn't think so, but well, not that you wouldn't think so, his, but his pressers know, not, make you think that he wouldn't be. That's the problem. Is that he's like, yeah, yeah we got to run the ball and you're like, "Well, you got a Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah, you got to help him out by running the ball." And then, you know, they throw it yeah. and you're fine. Okay, well, maybe this is okay, this will be the last. This will be the last question then cuz I've already taken too much of your time. So, what do you think about the Rodgers Mahomes MVP debate? Because I just want to hit that really quickly. Do you have one or the other? Um, I'm biased towards Mahomes, so I'm I'm discounting Rodgers. But you're 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 more again you're more familiar with Rodgers than I am. I probably yeah, watched I, Chiefs are on television a little bit more. Um, but when I did watch Rodgers last week, I was he seems to have a lot of time to throw the ball, but they are they are passing more quickly too in that offense. Okay, uh, yeah. So a he seems to have a lot of time to throw the ball. It turns out he does. B he is passing quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of yeah. funny it's both of those things right yeah that's why um, sack rates way down yeah i i would i would give it to rogers um so obviously his efficiency numbers are a little bit better um than mahomes but the thing that that swings it for me is i think the the supporting cast argument which is such a tired difficult to have conversation but um we know that wide receivers uh, matter more than offensive linemen we also know that travis kelsey might be the most valuable tight end in football um, and so I would say that it is very clear that Mahomes has a more effective supporting cast in terms of helping a quarterback produce the numbers that put you in the MVP conversation. Um, Rogers has Devonte Adams. And, and I, I think you would probably take Devonte Adams over Tyreek Hill. That's a tough conversation to have um, because, you know, who knows? They're just different. They're just so yeah, different. They're right? just yeah. so different. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I don't know if Tyreek Hill is as good as he is without Patrick Mahomes because he can leverage the unique talents, right? They're just this remarkable synergy, um, which I don't think is a knock on Mahomes. But I, I think that the skill talent overshadows the offensive line differential. And I think that um, it's not as if um, the the defensive schedule is enough in either way to swing things for me. And I would say that Rodgers has um, provided more value to his team um, than Mahomes has this year. And then I think the thing that that breaks it for me is uh, Mahomes getting credit for dropped picks, essentially. 
right? Where they turn into incompletions. Um, I think the the big play turnover worthy differential for both of them, it's remarkable, but I think it's pretty high. I think it's higher for Rodgers. And I think that that yeah. might be the, the difference there is um, I think from play to play, Rodgers has performed better. I think that Rodgers has a little bit less to work with. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, that conversation is close enough. I don't really need to do much more. Yeah. Okay. The, so the one, I, I, I think I agree with all of that. The one thing <laughs> yeah, that but... has, well, the one thing has <laughs> popped up, which it's kind of, it's, it's, you can quantify this too, but I, I don't know how it feeds into people's opinion where we're talking about value because most often we're talking about these metrics, um, although you weren't, you weren't quoting these metrics, but we're talking about metrics like QBR or EPA per play. You know, it's a rate stat, right? So mm-hmm. there still is this element where we're talking about value of the Chiefs are, they'll throw Mahomes is a up. bigger part of the Chiefs offense. Yeah, and, and they'll throw it while up. How valuable is that? Well, they're, you know, and they'll throw it while down more. I mean, they'll, they'll throw it all the time. <laughs> right. But, I think it is valuable. I think it is valuable. But understand, you're, rely, it's re, you're relying upon this player more than you would than you would other, otherwise. So, you know, you right, could say, so, well, so Rodgers could do it. I'll say this about the MVP race. I'll say this. I don't love the fact that it's called the most valuable player because I would love to just give it to the best player. Um, and in fact, I have argued in the past that we should just give it to the best player and ignore the word value because that just makes it more interesting. Because we wouldn't already that just have... be more chaos, though? That's just like more. That, chaos but that's great. To... We already have uh, a best quarterback award. It's called the All Pro QB. So just give it to that yeah. guy, right? Um, I think we should just give it to the best player, and then we can argue over whether or not it's like Aaron Donald or whoever's second. I don't yeah. know who's second. Is. Yeah, it just seems weird because in all other sports, you would. Well, I guess maybe not necessarily in, in baseball. It depends on how you're looking at it. But in other sports, MVP symbolizes I want this player before I want anyone else, basically. Like that is the one that is the one player, right. and that's why the kind of the value component in there. So I I think we could add awards, maybe. Maybe you can add a, a secondary award like to, player to the not year? have the to not, yeah, something like that. I could see something like that as 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 being as being the solution there. But anyway, I guess I'm still hanging on to Mahomes a little bit just because I don't know. Maybe, like I said, maybe I'm biased. But there's something I, I think, about. When... I think. I think you're you're committing a nerd sin. I think you're seduced by the highlights. That that's that's a possibility, but they are pretty pretty good. <laughs> and the fact that his, his offensive line went to turn, his offensive line went to dust, and it doesn't even seem to matter at all. He just like he just he just he just um, uh, backpedals even further, and then and then flings it to somebody. Yeah, it no is matter, it is really no remarkable what's when a quarterback commits a negative EPA decision and turns it into a positive EPA decision. But what about a quarterback who never makes that decision in the first place? Well, it helps if you can just go like this and then not have to worry worry about anything. But anyway, which you'll see. I I think it'll be interesting to see if there's like if Rodgers, if he can keep it up for the next for the next few games. I'm more confident Mahomes can than Rodgers can, despite the easier schedule. But that'll be the question here. Anyway, so we, 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 you did it all. You said it all. We went through everything Vikings related. Thanks so much, Arif, for coming on again. Arif Hassan, NFL. Follow him at the Athletic. Athletic. Everyone should probably be, everyone's got to subscribe to Athletic too, because I know you're probably annoyed already if you're not subscribing that you see content that you can't click on and can't, and can't get through to. But I found it to be immensely valuable there. Uh, anything else you want to plug before I let you go? 
Um, yeah, I've got two Vikings-specific podcasts that I'm on. Um, I'm told that people who aren't fans of the Vikings like listening to it, um, which I find fascinating. I have no idea why. But um, if you want to, if you want to find out why, certainly subscribe to them. So yeah. you can go uh, to Norse Code, uh, N-O-R-S-E, the Norse Code, um, which uh, is the podcast I've been running since 2011. Or you can go to the Football Machine, which is a podcast I do with Sam Ekstrom, um, and uh, and player to be named later. I guess we always have a different. Um, third host this year uh and and you can find both of those wherever you find podcasts uh and that one is um that one's a little bit more uh vikings focused because norse code will just talk about like food or whatever if they want to so yeah well that's probably why you got the you got, yeah that's probably yeah that's food. probably why yeah. everyone wants to hear about food that's why you listen anyway go subscribe to those go and uh rate and review and subscribe here and once again thanks everyone for tuning in 